but I had some good devotions this week, and uh, God's really blessed. I saw some, uh, some uh, serious blessings this week, but we're going to try to finish up what we talked about last week, and just a real quick, uh, thorough review of what we talked about. Anybody remember what was the ideas of last, so we talked about Second John, and Brother Lewis, who is the author of Second John? Brother, come on, man. You got this. John. John. All right. John. And we know that 1 John, 2 John, 3 John was written around what time? Angel, when do you think it was? I'll give you a hint. It was anywhere between 70 and 100 A.D. What did you say? You are correct, actually. 90 to 92 A.D. is what we found here. And the theme of 2 John is truth, truth. And we talked about this last week. Now, I told you, folks, last week we talked about this idea of 2 John and how 2 John is a very short book. If you blink like this real quick, you'll miss it, okay? But the good thing about 2 John, it has some really good... Uh, information for the Christian, and that is, when you talk about truth, today, the world likes to take truth, and they like to do what? They like to take truth, and they like to make it as, as um, moldable as possible. They don't want you to believe the truth, there is an absolute truth. When you as a Christian accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are believing in absolute truth. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. The world doesn't believe that. The world today believes that you're either right or you could be wrong or you're halfway wrong. But there's nothing absolute. Let's give you an example. When we talked about the truth, the importance of the truth. When we talk about the idea of abortion, okay, what happens when you talk about abortion with people? Well, we got to protect the, the, the woman, right? Now, I have a question. Who told you that that baby was not alive? Who told you that that baby is not a real person? Well, science tells us that life begins after 20 weeks. Who is science? Where does science get their values from? And then I ask the same question to people. I say, well, let me ask you this question. Where do we get our laws from? How do you know that you should not kill someone? And they kind of look at me and they go, well, society tells us that. Now, let me ask you this question. What if society determines that it's okay for me to kill you? Is it okay? No, of course it's not okay. Then society got it wrong. So my question is, is why should we depend upon society for the idea of absolute truth? You can't depend on society. Everybody that has understanding of God, the Bible says, has truth. Because without God, you can't have the truth, can you? Let's look at 3 John. It says, I'm sorry, 2 John. And it says, for many deceivers are entered into the world to confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. I'm in verse 7. 
This is a deceiver and, a Christ, and, and antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we have received a full reward. Whosoever transgresses abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Here's Paul's telling you, he's, listen, there's going to be people that are going to come in and they're going to try to deceive you. They're going to try to take the truth and they're going to try to twist it. They're going to try to take the tu- truth and they're going to say, this is the truth. But really, what is the truth? As a Christian, you can believe many things. Today, society says it's okay for us to drink. Christians today say it's okay for you to drink. The Bible's very clear that a wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And yet, Christians still do it today. You could talk about the thing, idea of, of our Bibles. I was just listening to a, um, a story not too long ago of a, of a man that was a very popular preacher back in the 60s and 70s that started going towards the liberal philosophy of the importance of our Bible. And as a Christian, it just made me cringe inside because as I listened to this man, I had, I had written, uh, had uh, listened to him and had written, uh, not written, but uh, read his books. And I thought, how could a man become so deceived? It's because there's no absolute truth. When you take absolute truth and you believe it, you don't compromise. You understand what I mean by compromise, right? You find the truth and you do it. You say, this is the line. I cannot cross because if I cross this, I'm doing what? Wrong. He that abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. You as a Christian, it's important to have Jesus Christ as part of your life. If you don't protect the truth, who will? Today in society... It's okay to say a little light uh, lie, right? It's okay to do a little bit of wrong, right? But God says, no. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you may be uh, obeyed in the lust thereof. But yield your members instruments of righteousness and holiness. Brother Oscar, this week, you'll be proud of me, brother. Matthew 14, 15 says... And ye, oh man, oh hold on. And ye, why it? No. <laughs> Thank you, brother Lewis. Uh, why and why call me Lord, Lord, if you do not the things that I say? Am I right? Did I get it? Why is it Luke six forty six? I had Matthew fourteen fifty and Luke six forty six references. You, what about you, brother? I don't hear you say quoting verses. Come on now, brother. Okay? I used that verse this week. And, um, of course, I've been doing this part-time. I've been working for UberX. I don't know if you guys know what UberX is. But I've been driving for them just, just, just uh, a few hours a, a week. But I picked up this guy. His name is Tommy. Pray for him if you think about him. And, of course, he reeked of alcohol. And he gets in my car and... I don't know how he figured it out. Maybe if he is a Christian, the Holy Spirit dealt with his heart. Or maybe God just told him this. 
but he says, hey, I need a little help. And I, and I said, okay, what do, you, what do you need? He says, I know you're a Christian. And I kind of, I hadn't told him anything. I just kind of, well, okay. And he says, I need, he says, I don't know if I should, he says, I need to make a decision today if I'm going to serve God or serve money. Of course, now he's drunk. I don't know how much he'll remember the conversation. But I told him, I says, you know, Tommy, and I didn't, of course, I'm driving for UberX. They can rate me, so I was very careful. Yes? Uh, what did he ask you? I, I need to serve what? He needed to serve God or serve money. Oh, I didn't he said he was an engineer. And he got fired for doing something, and he hasn't decided what he wants to do after he gets, you know, his wife still lives in Florida. And sounds to me like it was a very precarious situation. And uh, I looked at, I, of course, I kind of looked in my rearview mirror, and I says, Tommy, listen to me. I says, have you ever repented? Have you ever turned your back on your sin and followed God? Because until you repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ... You will never be a true believer of Jesus Christ. What if we come to Jesus Christ and just say, No, I want to keep my sin, God, and I can keep on doing what I want to do. I can keep on drinking. I can keep on living a, a filthy life. I can keep doing these things. Do you think God's going to say, Oh, sure, no problem. Right? No, when you come to God, you must say, Hey, I'm a sinner, but I'm willing to turn to you. Uh, an attitude, I am willing to turn to you. I'm willing to have contrition for my sin. And Do you under contri understand contrition? Those that are new in here, we have uh, a translator back there that speaks in Spanish. So sometimes I have to slow it down because Oscar helps. I need to help him in understanding some of the words. I'm sure it's a little bit hard to, to translate. His brother Lewis might say, yes. <laughs> We, we try, we try. But here we find what? This Tommy, this Tommy kid, he's telling me, he says, hey, I, need to, I don't know what I should do. I says, Tommy, you want to turn from your sin? You first of all need to get on your knees and show God that you're willing to. God will bless that. And I gave him the verse, uh, even gave him, if you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't that funny? I used both verses this week to be able to witness. It was a great, not that I didn't know that verse, but it was fresh on my mind, and uh, I used those verses to witness to Tommy. And even Tommy, before he got out of the car, said, will you pray for me? I said, I'll pray for you. I'm going to ask my church to pray for you. He says, no, I want you to pray for me now. So when I got to the, I, was, I kept my eyes open because I don't know. I was in the Pilsen neighborhood, and I was just kind of sitting there, and I thought, well, maybe I should just keep my eyes open while I'm praying just in case, you know, and come up and rob me or something. I don't know. Someone try to jump me. So I, I was sitting there in the alley, and I says, Dear God, please be with Tommy. I pray that he will repent of his sins and put his faith and trust in you, and that you would help him overcome. He even told me on the way there, he said he had demons that was facing him when he got home. I don't know if that was drink. I don't know what it was. But something was really bothering this man. And he knew that God, he even told me, he says, God put you, put you in my path. I thank God. I'm not a big fan of the UberX in the sense of as a driver. You know, I have to deal with people that have no desire to serve God, love God. But you know what? God gave me an opportunity there, didn't he? And I was doing what God, I'm trying to pay my bills, do the things that God wants me to do. God says, sure, I'll bless you. 
I'll bless you tonight with someone that you can witness to. I was excited. I even told, called pastor that night and said, hey, I got to witness somebody tonight at work. You know, God's good. God takes care of us. All right, so we talked about the idea of truth. And we talked about three things last week. We talked about protecting the truth. And who are we going to protect the truth against? Against deceivers. We find that in verse 7, which says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. We have the truth, right? We have an understanding of the truth. What happens? People want to be deceivers. They want to say they are the truth, but they aren't. Amen. Come to you and bring out this doctrine. Receive him not into your house. You need to protect your truth against the Jehovah Witnesses. You need to protect the truth against those that want to say your Bible is not the word of God. You want to protect the truth against those things that God says, hey, this is right. And there's no variance. Many people want to take the truth and they want to change it to their own good. Then you also have the destroyers in verse 8. We need to protect the truth against destroyers. Verse 8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we also that we receive a full reward. There's times as a Christian that they will, there will be people wanting you to do something good, but it's not for God. The Catholics do good things, don't they? What do they do? They go out and they do their good works. Well, the Bible is very clear that if you don't, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Our whole purpose of living here on this earth is to glorify God and to please God. If it's anything outside of that, what is it? It's sin. The Bible says it is a, if it is not of faith, it is sin. Pagado. Is that how you say sin in Spanish? Feo is faith? Fe. Fe. All right. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that then, huh? <laughs> it's not very... Feo pagado? Okay. Yeah, ugly sin. But doesn't all sin ugly? So why you're kind of just... It's kind of meaningless, isn't it? Amen, brother. All right. And then we also have departers of the, of the truth. In verse 9, it says... Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not in God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So we find here what? There's going to be people that are going to depart from the faith. They're, I'm sorry, from the truth. They're going, uh, you turn the clock back to the turn of the century. The Methodists had the right, had the good, had the gospel. The Presbyterians had the gospel. You go back even further, you'll find that Lutherans had the gospel. Uh, there's actually even a there's a sect of them. I don't know if they're still uh, faithful, but a while ago, the Missouri Senate Lutherans had the gospel. But what happened? They all departed from the from the truth, right? And now today, are they preaching truth? No, most of them preach uh, good work salvation. Oh, if you want to go to heaven, you got to do so much good. Or you got to do this, or you got to do that. Church of Christ believes what, Brother Mohan? Baptism. You have to be saved and you have to be baptized in order to be, uh, say, or to be saved. No, the Bible is very clear about that. You'll find that baptism is not a part of salvation, but it is a... It's an ordinance, but it's, all, it's a picture of salvation. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, of Christ, right? When Christ buried, he rose again the third day. When you get buried with Christ, you again, what? You rise from your old nature and become what? New. Does the water do anything? If it did, man, everybody that took a shower saved, amen? Woohoo! That's great, right? Yes. You, oh, you took a shower this morning? Great, Miss Rena. <laughs> she saved. Woohoo! Right? No, that's not how it works. You have to have what? You have to have faith in Christ and a repentant spirit to get to him. All right, so we're moving on. We talked about this last week. We talked about hospitality, and I, I got plenty of time. Sweet. We talked about the theme of Third John, which is hospitality. Brother Lewis, Third John was written by? Not Peter, brother. I know, that's the first choice. Let's see here. Brother Lewis is stumbling on this. Third John. Oh, my goodness. You need to talk to him later, okay, Brother Lewis? Get it together. All right? So we find that the dates for 3 John, and this is the last book of the series, is 95 A.D. So 1 John was written around 90 A.D. 2 John was written between 90 and 92 A.D. And 3 John was written at 95 A.D. Okay, to give you a little bit of a timeline, Stephanie, when was the destruction of the temple, the Jewish temple? What was it? 70 A.D. So... You find 70 A.D., you got a long time after that, and boom. Uh, most of the books were written before 70 A.D. in the early church, okay? So you'll find here, if it helps you any, Revelation was the last book written. And you'll find here also that this was next to that and was by the same author. So keep those things in mind when you're trying to remember the dates. And we talked about the content of 3 John, and we talked about the types of church members, church members. Oh man, what an example. We got three of them here. You ready for this? The first church member was Gaius. He was the exhorter. The exhorter. And we're reading verses 1 through 8. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou... Oh, hold on, lost my place. Whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey... After a godly sort, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may, what? Might be fellow, fellow helpers to the truth. So what does this say about Gaius? He says, Gaius, whom I love, well beloved. Beloved, I would wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So some of the things that we're talking about here, that Gaius was to be. He was to be, first of all, faithful to the truth. Faithful to the truth. When we talk about being in the truth, we can sometimes err from the truth, can't we? It's very easy for us to justify our sin, isn't it? 
The devil gives us all kinds of tools, doesn't he? He just says, lines them up. take that for granted and say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, devil. Oh, yeah, I can do that. God will be okay with that, won't he? And God looks at us and says, no. We are to be faithful to the truth. You talk about the idea of being faithful. Where does faithfulness come, come to light when you think of the, the word of being faithful? Anybody give me an idea? Brother Eddie, when you think of the word, you need to be faithful. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you hear that? Obedience. Obedience, okay. But I'm talking about context. Context. If I were to say, you need to be faithful. I have one thing in mind. It's my number one ministry, believe it or not. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Faithfulness to my wife. Why? Because that is number one job of my life. My church, praise God, I love my church. I love the people here. But you know what? The first person I need to be faithful to is to who? My wife. My wife. First person comes God. And then who? Number two. But my number one ministry is my wife. Okay? We use, I'm using this illustration to kind of give you an idea of the idea of being faithful to the truth. When you're faithful to your wife... You did what do you what do you do? You deny all others, don't you? When I was married, uh, the preacher talked about the ring. I don't know if any, you were there, right? And Mr. Oscar was there before you were married. And Miss Patty, were you there? And Stephanie, I think everybody, most of the people were you there, Teresa? No, that was before that time. But he talked about this idea of the ring, and he says, "There's no beginning and there's no ending." And in that ring signifies of how my relationship should be. There should be no beginning and no ending. It should be the same. Okay? There's nothing different. You know, this ring, it's a circle. Right? Now, it was a, at that time, do you think I was thinking about what the preacher was saying? No, I wasn't. I was thinking about that beautiful woman that was standing right there next to me. Now, I give this silly illustration about faithfulness to your wife. And being faithful, faithful to the truth, should be no different. There should be no stopping, no ending. It should be just one, one, one time that you're going to say, this is the truth, and I'm going to continue on with it. Just continue on. It shouldn't be like some Christians, they're up and down on their Christianity. Well, I believe this is God's will. Amen. And they start being faithful to that thing that they believe God has told them to do. And then down the road they get sick of it. Do I have to do it? Right? And so there becomes a what? A stop. And then maybe down the road they get a little excited. And then, oh, yeah, woohoo! They grab some of that glory and they start on. And then all of a sudden, what happens? I got to go to church again? Right? God gives us the importance of being faithful to the truth. There is no starting and stopping. It's a continuous thing. It just keeps going. And you've got to keep up with it. How can you do that? Mohan, what do you think? How can you be faithful to the truth? Like gay is here. What's that? Thank you. Thank you. You cannot do it your own. You know why there's a lot of 
problems today with Christians being faithful to the truth? Because a lot of them don't believe this. What do you mean, Well, we've had plenty of people tell us that uh, this is not inspired word of God. Really? From what I read, it seems like everything that God gives me, I can understand. Right? I saw this article, this thing on Facebook the other day. Someone had posted, and it had this picture. And it said, it had a picture of the Bible, and it said, KGJV 1611. And it said, underneath of it, um, it was like a meme, but it said something to the fact of, uh, because we're not supposed to understand the Word of God. KJV 1611, because we're not supposed to understand the Word of God. So it was a knock on the KJ version, King James version. Then below it, someone else had posted another meme, and it says, can't under, illiterate Christians can't understand the King James Version, but thinks they can understand the Greek to be able to translate into English. Figure that one out for a second with me. God gives us his word. And guess what? I don't understand Greek. But you know what? He was faithful enough to preserve God's word right here. It's been used for centuries. And guess what happens? People want to pervert it. And you know why people can't be faithful to the church? Because they don't know the word of God. They don't believe it's the power from God. They don't believe they can understand the word of God. So what do they do? They begin to rely on some man to be able to give them the word of God. And they bring out 16 different Bibles. Well, this version says, oh, I like this version. Right? And before long, what happens? People become wrapped up in saying, well, how can I find God's will for my life today? God gives us the truth. We can't be saying that uh, uh, we can't be faithful to it, but most people, the reason they're not faithful to the truth is because they don't understand the truth. Because they rely on man to teach them. Secondly, not only was Gaius faithful to the truth, but he was also spiritual. It says in verse 6, let's start back a little bit. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. So he's faithful. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Listen to me. He had a testimony of what? Someone that had a great attitude, a great spirit. Toward not only Christians, but also to who? The unsaved. You want to see, determine how a Christian's spiritual nature is? Look at how they treat other people in the church. It's a great indicator. You want to see how, how they're going to be? See how much they act like Christ towards others. When you see someone like that, man, that's someone that is living by faith. He was, had a good testimony, letter C. He believed the truth. Some people can say, hey, amen. And if you see in verse, verse 8, he says, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came, testify of the truth that is in thee. Listen to me. Some people can wear the truth on the outside. And I talked about this last week. Is how some people, oh, they come to church, they got a nice tie on. Woohoo! Praise God. They got a nice suit on. Woohoo! Praise God. Oh, they carry their Bible to church. Woohoo! Praise God. Oh, 
only happens, they go home the rest of the week and they are not professing the truth. They're taking the truth and they're saying, hmm, that was good for Sunday. Right? And what happens to that Bible? It sits on the shelf and it collects dust. It's very easy to do. But what did Gaius do? He believed the truth. How do you keep that belief? It's by what? Getting in your word and searching it. As, if, as Timothy says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't have a lot of time. Let's move on. Letter D or letter E, he was a joy and comfort to his pastor. A joy and comfort to his pastor. What do he say? It says, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because of uh, that for his name's... Oh, let's go back to verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified the truth that is in thee. What did he say? He says, man, I was excited. How people were telling... Did you see what Gaius is Boone doing right lately? Boy, I tell you what, he's faithful to the truth. He's been a great testimony to the people in the church and outside the church. Boy, look at this Gaius. He really is living by faith. Now, I'm going to tell you something here. I'm going to stop right here. Listen, the reason to do right is not to impress your pastor, my friend. If you're doing it to impress Pastor Teasdale, listen to me. You're not going to receive the greater reward. You've already gotten your reward. Your goal should be to please Christ. The unity that we will, as a church, develop when we have what? One common goal, and what is that? Is to please Christ. You will find unmatched unity in this church. When we don't have that unity, it's because someone is not trying to please Christ. They could be pleasing mom and dad kids. Well, not many kids in here. And there's no kids except one in the back. She was crying. We could have, uh, we could be pleasing our husband, just to please our husband. Listen, you shouldn't please your husband. Some of you are going, Brother Harold, get him out quickly. It's preaching heresy. No, you should please Christ. And when you please Christ, that's who you're also going to please. Your husband. Why? Because Christ gave the perfect example of how a marriage should be between Christ and the church. Right? When you please Christ, first of all, you're going to be able to have the right relationship with everyone else. Not as we as Christians should understand that we should bring joy and comfort not only to our pastor, but those around us. But your pastor, believe it or not, did you know your pastor needs encouraging? Pastor Teasdale? Yeah, he does. He needs encouraging. And why does he need encourage? Because, listen to me, he's just like you and me. He just has a different responsibility. He's not God. He's not anything special, except for the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins. What's the difference between pastor and you? Nothing. He has to rely on the same Jesus to be able to save him as his sins as you did. The only difference is he has to rely on the same Jesus to forgive him of his sins like you do. 
What do we have any difference? He just has a different job. He's the one that God uses to give the message to the people, to the church. He's to encourage. He's to uplift. He's to be a what? An example. Do you think it's easy always to be the leader of the church? Sometimes it's very hard. Remember one of the first people that we had in our church. Actually, it was Nellie, uh, Oscar's cousin. And we worked with her, and we worked with her, and we worked with her. I remember she would come over the house. We'd have dinner. He'd encourage her. And then she decided to go her own way, didn't she, Oscar? Broke my dad's heart. Because he'd worked with this lady. And he wanted the best for her. He knew that if she decided that she was going to go her own way, she, he knew what the d- destruction would bring. Now we can see, can't we, Oscar? It's horrible. You think your pastor just gets up here and preaches, because he hates people? No, he does it because he loves you. He knows what destruction can come if you're not faithful to the Word of God. And when we as Christians live by faith, I'm not saying you're doing things just because pastors ask you to do it. You're doing things because Christ has asked you to do it. There's no greater encouragement for your pastor than to see that. I tell you what, he probably gets a smile on his face seeing you just taking off serving God by yourself. But most Christians, it's like this. Come on, let's go. Come on, let me help you. Right? What if it was one of these days, pastors going, and the Christian goes, Yeah, I can do this myself. And he just starts running, it just takes off. You know how exciting pastor would be? He'd be like, Woohoo! Praise God. That's where we should be as Christians. Not just to encourage your pastor, but, Lord, but think, think of what God wants for your life. All right. I got 10 minutes. He was faithful. We talked about faithful truth, but he was faithful. The idea of being faithful means that he was faithful not only to church. Listen to me. I was listening to a message this week by a man who was talking about why you should join your local church. If you haven't joined a local church and you're saved, you're baptized in here, let me tell you something. You need, to, you need to join this one. If not this one, find another one to join. Because God has ordained the church. He gave himself for it. Okay? Now, you say, why is it important for me to uh, be part of a local church? And this, this is one of the things the guy said. He says, today, there is this rampant desire for everybody to be the individual. They call it individualism, okay? What do I mean by individualism? Is there anything wrong with individualism? I'm going to do a little discussion here, if you don't mind. What does it mean to be the individual? Anybody know? Yes. I'm my own man, right? Okay. Angel, come here, buddy. Come here for a second. I need your help, and I need your brother's help, too. Oh, I forgot about you. There is two kids in here. Come on, hurry, hurry, hurry. All right. He's got the perfect shirt, too. Look at this. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I need you. Come on. 
You, yeah. Talking about you, boy. Come on. All right. Now, Teresa, you back me up on this, okay? You got two boys here. All right. Now, if Angel's doing something wrong, is it more likely if he's with his brother, do you think his brother would tell you? Yes, he would, wouldn't he? I was a boy at one time and I had an older brother. So the great thing about a church, it's a what? It's a what? It's a family. Thank you. Thank you. It's a family. Now, get out of here. Stay there, though. Don't go too far. Angel does wrong. Who's keeping him accountable? No, he's gone. Don't look at him. Close your eyes. Who's helping him? Who's keeping him accountable? God is, you're right. But what if if God doesn't get his attention? Who's seen him? He's a lone wolf, isn't he? There is no lone wolves in the Christian walk. From the get-go, God has always given us what? Fellowship. Come back here. That's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ. To keep us encouraged. Keep us on the right track. To help us. That's why you need to be part of a local church. All right? You can sit down. Sit down. Thank you. Don't be doing any of those own stunts in here, okay? We as Christians have the importance to be faithful to church. Church is not just a family, but it's also a community. Okay? I grew up in a church that had probably close to... On a Sunday morning, they probably had close to 1,500 people there. Okay? Out of those 1,500 people, there was probably about anywhere from 800 to 1,000 people that were members. Okay? There was a lot of people there. To this day, I don't have a hometown. Okay? A hometown. I go back. My parents, I grew up in a little town called Paxson, Illinois. My parents grew up in a hometown. But you know where my hometown is? was my local church. I did everything there. I had school there. My friends were there. Everything was around. My parents surrounded me around the church. Why? Because they realized if there was going to be any truth given, it was going to be given at where? Church. Every time the church doors opened, we had a work party, we were there. We had Wednesday, Thursday night services, we were there. I had teen activities. I was there. I lived at church, for goodness sakes. Now, our church is not set up the same way. But it should be set up a Christian that says, hey, I'm going to be there. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be what? Faithful. Okay? G. He treated other church members right. We've already kind of gone over this. H. H. What is the theme of 3 John? What is the theme of 3 John? Hospitality. G. I'm sorry, H. He was hospitable. Hospitable. It says in here, it says uh, in verse 6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. What did he do? Gaius had this spiritual... 
You have brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them, they're not here this morning. How can you encourage them? How can you do things to help them? Pastor's been recently giving us men the responsibility of sending our devotions to each other. And I'll tell you what, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. I've been able to get get done with my devotions. I type it up, send it out to Brother Ralphie. I hope it's been an encouragement to him as well as his devotions to be encouragement to me. But listen to me. When we are Christians, we're going to be what? Hospitable toward each other. It should be said that when we're, we're, we're not just people that come to church on Sunday. Again, I go back to this idea of community. When you were young, how many, let me, I guess I should ask this. How many people grew up in a community that was close-knit? You can live in Chicago and still be a part of a community that's close-knit. They have their little communities. You got Bridgeport, you got Brighton Park, and there's some that are really involved in this. One of those communities, okay? Teresa, you probably remember more than I do. You're, you're, I can, I can just imagine. You were probably involved in public school, things like that. Everybody knew. Oh, catechism, yeah, the Catholic Church, yeah, okay. But when I was a kid, we grew up in a small town of about 4,500 people, okay? And there wasn't a big town for probably a good 20 minutes out of the way, all right? You walk down the street, this is how you were greeted. It could be somebody that you don't know, most likely you didn't know. Hey, how you doing? You, has somebody been to my grandparents' house in Loda? Well, my, my grandpa's house now, grandma no longer with us. But as you go down, the, people walk down the street, I'll be mowing the, mowing the lawn. They don't know me from Adam. But they go, And I, I don't know who they are. They'll be riding. My grand, grandparents live on a, a lake, and they'll be driving by in their pontoon boats. And they'll we'll be on the uh, uh, shore, and we'll we'll be doing something in the yard. Every one of them. It's got a root if you don't. That's being what hospitable. You are just out of yourself out of your own shell and saying, I'm going to do and be a help to this person. Think of other people's needs. Is there a need in the church that should be met? If you notice something, instead of talking about it, why don't you help them out with it? It's important. And lastly, he helped others. He helped others. We talked about the idea of what is charity. Miss Sophie, I want to tell you something. That definition that you put on Facebook about four weeks back was great. About lust and love. Lust is to get. Love is to give. I love that. I think that's an excellent definition. Charity is the same way. It is what? It is giving of yourself. Not getting. Not something that you're getting in return. Okay? Gaius, he had what? The attitude of what? I'm giving of myself. All right? And we got, uh, we're really out of time. Um, so we got a good guy here. Let's talk about a bad guy. Bad guy. Diotrophes. Diotrophes. That's kind of a little, right? 
Verse 9, what's the word about Diotrephes? I have wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, what? Who loveth to have preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Who was, <laughs> who was Diotrephes? Well, we know something about him. He had a problem with authority. You're going to tell me what to do. I know who's in charge of Diotrephes. That's our next boys, if we ever have a boy, honey, which probably never. I think we're done completely. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Diotrephes, what do you think? No? That's his name, Diotrephes, okay? He was an egotist. Look at me. I got to be able to <laughs> um, lift myself up, you know? I remember when I was a kid, we, would, uh, we had to wait lift, and it was about two hours, and it was unsupervised time. And we were seventh and eighth graders, so we would do things to entertain ourselves. And I remember one of the kids, he would take his thumb and he'd go like this. And he'd pump himself up and he'd go like that. And then, of course, I got a kick out of it. You know? But that's kind of what some Christians are. They got a. Right? And then someone comes along and goes to them, right? They get this attitude, ah, I gotta look at me, yeah! I'm sure people in the audio recording have no clue what I'm talking about here because they can't see me what I'm doing. <laughs> but you know what? We, there's some people in the church, I hope it's not, I don't think it's in our church. It seems like everybody is pretty much on, com, on, on, on common ground. But you know what? There's some people that gotta lift themselves up. Look at me! If they're not in the front, then they're not there. Right? That's not the way the church should be, should it? Diotrephes, he had to have the preeminence. How do you say preeminence in Spanish, Mr. Oscar? Oh, it's almost the same thing. Preeminence. Ah. I got it. Sia. Sia. All right. Preeminencia. All right. And that almost would go along with pastor saying, come to Churcho, you know, instead of Inglesia, you know. He used to do that. I'll tell that story later. You probably have heard of it, but it was pretty funny. So here, here we go. We have the preeminence, meaning he's got to be the big shot, right? It used to be the uh, anagram of BMOC, and that meant big man on campus. Some church Christians got to be the BMOC, the big man on church, at church, or B, BMAC, the big man at church, right? I got to look at myself. I got to be the one that's in charge. I got to be the one that takes preeminence right my wife um, we know a lady won't mention names but uh, not at this church but in another church we know of she wants to be in charge of the decorating and she literally if the other ladies put up decorations in the church what does she do you're not going to put up those no I'm take them back down put them on my own I'm so glad we don't have that in our church. <laughs> I don't know if I'd probably lose my head. If I was the pastor, I'd say, you know what? You guys would be better off with another pastor. I'm moving on. But you know what? I can't imagine that, you know? Another lady just took her time and put up some nice decorations. And this other lady comes out, what? Those aren't my decorations. Right? That's what Diotrephes was. He had this attitude. Look. I'm the one that should be the one that should be looked to, right? 
All right. I have about three more points with this, but I'm running out of time. So let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, Brother Eddie, close us in a word of prayer.